Maeve Heim is the founder and CEO of Bread, the hair care brand filling the blank space for predominantly textured hair in the beauty industry. For more on Bread's journey, keep on listening. Hi everyone and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Main has been an incredible journey so far and I've decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or you're simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. Now, without further ado, it's a delight to welcome our guest for today, Maiva Heim. She is a powerhouse behind Australian hair care brand Bread, launching in 2020 with a curated line of products that she describes as hair care basics for not so basic hair. As founder and CEO, Maiva set out to champion diversity in the category following her own natural hair journey and struggled to find brands that felt relatable as a woman of colour. Having previously worked in the industry the likes of Procter & Gamble and L'Oreal, Maiva's experience both in the industry and as a consumer made her determined to make a change. Bread was one of the first Australian brands selected for the Sephora Accelerate program and launched into Sephora as a new black-owned brand, leading the conversation on textured hair. This is such a huge part of the conversation of exclusivity and beauty today, and I think we'll have a lot in common to discuss. So Maiva, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so, so happy to finally get a chance to chat with you. And that was a really lovely intro. So thank you. So first things first, I ask all my guests the same question. I'm so curious to hear your answer. Who, in a nutshell, is Maiva? I would say that I am someone who is very curious. I can be oddly fixated on things and I'm a maker and creative, which is actually not something that I had ever identified myself as until more recently in the past couple of years. Um, but I love to make. I love to make things with both my brain and my hands. And I think that bread is very much a reflection of that. Well, there's so much to pack into, like the story behind the name and the brand and just the ethos, because I'm obsessed with it. But I do want to start first in the beginning, uh, take a trip down memory lane to baby you. Uh, can you tell us a bit about sort of your upbringing and sort of those very early memories of beauty where you were born and raised? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Perth, Western Australia. And my earliest memories of beauty are kind of twofold. The first was that my mum is from the Ivory Coast in West Africa. And we would travel there uh, probably, I would say, when I was really young, once a year, and then it kind of teetered back a little bit to once every two years. But we would travel there and we would also travel to France, where my dad is from. Um, and I had a lot of beauty experiences in that because I would go to the Ivory Coast, to Cote d'Ivoire, and I would sit with all of my aunties and they would plonk me down. I was probably like five, six years old. 
and they would whip out their makeup bags. And this was like, as soon as I arrived, it'd be like that evening, all right, you have to go and sit on the mat and they're going to do your makeup. So they pull out, you know, their blue eyeshadow and their red lipstick and the brown lip liner and do like, it's this extreme makeup look on me. And then my other aunties would want to do my hair. So they'd be doing my braids or different styles. And um, those were some of my earliest beauty memories. And then as I got a little bit older, so when I was maybe like seven, eight, my beauty memories were very much entrenched in the salon. So my mom had a salon. She had a braiding salon in Perth. Um, and it was one of the very first braiding salons in Australia and probably the first one in Western Australia in Perth um, back in the day. And I spent a ton of my childhood there because she would take me after school and on weekends and during school holidays, I would always have to be there. And I was, you know, I'd start off doing little things like answering the phone or sweeping the floor. My mum had a really thick accent. So she would always get me, you know, as a nine, 10 year old to answer the phone and take the appointment. And I learnt, you know, my telephone voice very, very early. Then as I got a little bit older, I would actually help to do hair. So I would braid and, you know, she'll try and get me, get me there every weekend braiding hair. And still, as I got older, even up until last Sunday, she's still trying to get me to come over and help braid hair. Yeah, that's what I grew up around. I grew up around beauty from so many of the women in my life and and especially hair care. That's amazing. Did, did you, um, like, was it ever young Maeva, like thinking, oh, maybe I will create my own brand because I want to see more representation? Like, when did that first thought come in? At that stage, definitely not. I probably actively avoided it, mm. to be quite fair. Even up until early in my career, I never anticipated or imagined that I could create my own brand and that it could have, you know, a lasting impact or anything like that. I come from, you know, an immigrant background. I'm first generation. And so I think that I, like my parents, really wanted me to either climb the corporate ladder or become a lawyer. Mm. I never thought about running my own business. I, I really had this kind of linear path that I was actually very, very happy to follow, which was become a lawyer. So I did a law degree, but I also did a business degree at the same time. And I just kind of so happened to fall into the business side of things. But starting and, and running a business as my kind of full-time role was not something that I ever anticipated, especially not at that age. It wasn't until probably not even that long before I actually started Brand that I thought that that could be a serious possibility. Yeah. And I, th I think it's actually really important because I think a lot of entrepreneur or potential entrepreneurs are kind of have this feeling like, oh, I have to have known since a young age or like this has to be like my calling. But actually like you could be an entrepreneur at any stage of your life, right? And it could be you could create something and it could actually build and help you and teach you, but it's something that you just would never foresee. And I think that's something that's very important to mention because, and, and even going forward, right? Like you, you've done a, you've done a lot of different things in your, in your career, but like who's to say next, it might not be beauty for you, right? It might be something else. Exactly. That's okay. Yeah. That's and I think great. that we often put so much pressure on ourselves to know exactly what we want to do. And I, always felt that pressure. And I was so envious of people who knew exactly what they wanted to do and what they were going to be from like the age of 15. And then they just went and did it and they're probably still doing it now. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think I was ever really that person because I was kind of just following a path, but I was not the person that was like, I know exactly what it is. 
I really felt like I had to explore different things before I was able to land on what I wanted to do. And that was actually a really long journey and a very deliberate journey to figure out what it was that I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I have to ask, because also something like I'm feeling right now, it's funny because of course, like a huge part of my existence in life today is I feel very confident and happy where I am and this is my calling and all of that shabam but at the same time I get many days where I'm like what am I doing like what is my three-year five-year plan like like, it doesn't always get answered even when outside in people are like oh Akash is doing what he loves he's building a haircare brand sharing his story and I'm like I love it and I'm obsessed with it but I don't know I, I always ask myself every day like what what am I doing I don't know so is it normal to still feel lost even when you're doing what you love I hope so because I I definitely feel the same way I don't think it's like every other day it's it's a roller coaster and I think that I was thinking about this before because it's taken so long for us to finally be able to get on this call and I noticed that every time you reached out to me, I was in one of those kind of, I don't know if you experienced this too, but just this like trough, like there's so many ups and downs and, you know, I found myself in different moments along this journey being in like a really deep trough where I look back at emails where I look back at messages. I'm like, did I send that? Like it was such a blur that (laughs) you can't even comprehend that it even happened. And I think that business is kind of just that journey. And so I 100% relate to this idea that you can be in it and be loving it and feel like this is what you're supposed to be doing. But then 24 hours later, feel like you're on the wrong path and, and you have no idea what you're doing or where you're going. And, and I, and I literally like, I mean, if anyone understands it's, it's, it's a fellow founder, right? So that's like, the, it's, 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 it's so fun. Like this, like on Tuesday, I was ready. I even had a conversation with my, my sister, my dad. And I was like, look, I'm really ready to like just hire a CEO, step down. Like I can, I've done this for three years. That's tough. I, I don't have no more fight in me. And then Friday came and I'm like, okay, I'm going, forget what I said, let's do it. And it's like, oh gosh, like I changed my mind. Like, like I, I thought I'd get better at that, but it's not, it's getting worse. But it's part of the, it's part of the, the, the journey is to, of course, like see who you expose that to. Like you don't want to expose that to your stakeholders every day because it can be quite Uh turbulent but internally if you can be strong enough to withhand that kind of inner turbulence that you just cannot avoid but knowing that you won't sink or 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 you know or it won't be detrimental I think it's okay yeah and I think as founders like we all have that we you kind of I feel Mm. like you have to like you go into it knowing that it's going to be difficult you often don't know exactly how difficult it's going to be you kind of have to just guess and I think that we're all a little bit cuckoo for believing that we can do these things and you kind of have to be. And so you do have that innate sense of this feels like the end of the world and it's going to be the end of the world. And then the next day it's not. And, you know, it goes on. (laughs) So, yeah, I can totally relate. I love that. No, it's so true. And it just continues. Before we get into the story of bread, I mean, is there any key learnings, not necessarily related to the birth of bread but like just in your extensive career that you know you think might be helpful to share or for anyone to listen about some of your experiences you had yeah I think that when I think about you know those early days of bread and kind of what helped us to kind of break through even just get to the point of launching 
or even just going back to what I was talking about before on that journey of figuring out what I wanted to do, I went to this leadership camp in LA when I was um, in university or just out of university. To, to be honest, it's like a really corny leadership camp for kids. And, you know, you kind of take the lessons that you feel are applicable and leave the other ones behind. But I learned some really important things during that that I already kind of felt, but it really just kind of was formalized for me in a way that kind of gave me permission to think a certain way. And one of the things that someone said to me, and it can be a little bit controversial, but I always keep it in the back of my mind, is that you'll never be taken advantage of if you know what you want. And I kind of took that away knowing that I knew what my end goal was. I knew that there would be certain things that I would need to do that other people wouldn't be willing to do, which was another thing I learned was that successful people do the things that other people aren't willing to do. And so what is it that seems too hard? What is it that seems too outlandish that 99% of people aren't willing to do? And can you go and do that? And will that help you get to the next step? And so those lessons I kind of took with me along the way and really helped Brad to not just become the brand that it is today, but even just get off the ground. Um, and so some of the things I did in the early days that I think are super important, because you think about, I look back and I think, I'm like, what was I thinking? But I know what I was thinking. It was that I had an end goal and there was just certain things that I was going to have to do to figure it out. Uh, one of those things was launching with Sephora. Um, that's obviously a really big one. It's a, it's a goal for a lot of brands. For me, the reason I wanted to launch at Sephora when we launched the brand was not just because it's Sephora and it's an exceptional retailer and all of those things, was actually tied to the brand and the brand mission and the strategy for the brand, which was that I wanted a hair care brand to exist in this kind of textured, curly space, but feel like a brand that could exist in the kind of general hair care space. I didn't want it to feel separate. I wanted it to feel like part of that and kind of flip the model of a hair care brand around. So we're not necessarily a brand that's just for curly and textured hair. A lot of our products work for different hair types. It's just dependent on your need and what your kind of styling outcome is. But we focus predominantly on textured and curly hair, whereas other brands, you know, the majority of brands focus on straight hair and then they maybe have a line or a couple of products that will work well for curly and textured hair. We're kind of the opposite of that. And at that time, I could see that, you know, Fenty had launched at Sephora. You know, there was this customer that was going into Sephora that really wasn't being served in hair care. And I wanted Bread to be one of the brands that would lead the way in giving that customer what they wanted in a Sephora environment. I didn't want that customer to only have options in beauty supply or only have options in retail environments where you don't get the same level of service and the same level of brand experience that you do at Sephora. And so that's why I wanted Bread to launch with Sephora. It wasn't just, you know, the name of Sephora. It was like, no, it's for this customer for this specific reason. Um, and to make that happen, I knew that I would have to, you know, try and get in front of a buyer somehow. And I'm, you know, on the other side of the world in Australia, I wanted to launch in the US and I went to an event. There was a, a conference happening where I knew there was going to be a Sephora VP. It was actually supposed to be Artemis, um, speaking at this event. And I was like, right, I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to fly across the world to this event and I'm going to try and find Artemis and, tell her about my brand. Um, and I, I went, I went, I would, you know, I wasn't um, necessarily like 100% going to go, but I was like, this is my chance. I just have to try it. So 
I went and Artemis had to pull out at the last minute. So she wasn't coming anymore. It ended up being somebody else. Um, but it was a blessing in disguise because it was um, Alison Hahn, who is still, I believe, VP of Color Cosmetics at um, Sephora. And I found her walking, you know, the area after she'd done one of her speaking sessions and I kind of cornered her a little bit. <laughs> she could, she had some people with her and once she left them, she went off to another area. So I, I went out to her and, you know, gave the spiel and was like, this is, you know, I'm creating this hair care brand. You know, what advice would you have for someone like me to get in front of a buyer? And it ended up being a lot easier than I expected because she gave me her card and said, this is great. Do you have a deck and do you have samples? And I said, yes, I do. And I'm going to be in San Francisco next week. That was a white lie, but I threw that in there. I have to say it. (laughs) And she said, great, I'll send it to the hair care merchant and um, they'll be in touch. So I was like, okay, cool. That was not what I was expecting, but it all kind of worked out and I ended up going up to San Francisco, meeting with the hair care merchant um, and then meeting with uh, Lily, who was in charge of the Support Accelerate program at that time. Um, And then... The rest is history. That was literally how it all began. And it was that one moment, that one thought around nobody's going to be willing to do this. And most people, when they go to conferences, they sit in the theater and they watch the person talk and then they take notes and they take those lessons away. But another thing I learned at this leadership conference was that's not what you do when you go to a conference. You stand in the wings or you stand in the back or at the door. And when the person that you want to speak to or introduce yourself to or get to know is leaving, then you go and speak to them. And that's the value that you get from conferences. And I've managed to connect with so many incredible people that way. Um, And yeah, I I just think that it's something that not a lot of people do. So if you're not already doing that at a conference, then you should try it. (laughs) And it's so accessible and it's just a matter of doing it. I think a lot of people, you know, you've probably given this advice to many upcoming entrepreneurs or uh, uh, recent graduates. And often like, I guess sometimes the sentiment can be like, I know, but it's not always that easy and whatever. It's like, no, when it's not, doesn't matter. Just do it. Just do it. Because if you haven't done it, how do you know? Right. And maybe there'll be two, three events, four events. Sometimes like um, we know this, we go to sometimes conferences and you really want to speak to two or three people. And then you end up like seeing them speak and they rush off and then they're gone. And you're like, oh, they left. And it happens. And it's okay. And sometimes you talk to someone and you just don't really connect. And that's fine, too. Like you have to be willing to take the rejection if you're going to do it. I think maybe like one thing which I think would be really helpful to know is there is an art of, um, I call it the dance of conversation. So sort of like you have to listen to that potential partner, see if they want to even dance with you, see how do you make them feel comfortable in your presence. Um, what advice would you give? Because I've seen people, and I've seen people come up to me and I've kind of like reacted differently depending on what they say, how they say it, you know? So what would you yeah, recommend as a good tip? Yeah, I think probably my biggest piece of advice for that is relating to that person. So I don't think I've ever done that where I haven't already got a good understanding of who that person is, what they're working on, you know, what they're interested in, um, and just genuinely having an interest in what they're interested in or what they maybe have going on at that time in their life. I think you're right, it is an art and it it is something that you kind of have to master, but I think if you genuinely go into that conversation wanting to understand that person and knowing about them and not going in completely cold, that's always the best place to start. 
and I haven't done this in a long time really because I haven't really been to many events since COVID. <laughs> but I'm trying to think about like any other specifics where it's been really helpful. And sometimes that person's really busy and they're in a rush and they're leaving. And so you have to try and keep it short, even if you can just give them your contact details or get their contact details in like a five minute conversation so that you can connect with them later. That's always a good strategy too, because they may, you know, be rushing out to go somewhere else. But yeah, if I think back to those times where I was like doing the whole, you know, quote unquote networking thing, it's just about relating to people and having a genuine interest and genuinely wanting to develop a relationship. And the conversation should flow naturally from that. I can give an example, actually. So a wonderful friend of mine now, her name's Alison, and she was working in media at the time. And I went to an event um, where she was speaking and we really wanted to connect with her because I actually used to have a podcast with a, a couple of friends of mine. And we were really interested in having her as one of our first podcast guests. And so I saw her speak at this event. And when she came off stage, you know, the question that I asked her, because I knew that she was in media, I knew kind of what was, you know, happening at that time, which was, this was really, really early for podcasts. So the conversation I had to her, had with her was about that. I said, you know, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, this idea that we've gone from, you know, the written word being, you know, our primary form of media to then visual. And now we're seeing this transition into sound and um, podcasts and music and that, you know, medium becoming a lot stronger. And then, you know, we had an hour long conversation about it. And then I was able to follow up with her and say, by the way, we're doing a podcast and do you want to be our first guest? And she was, and it was amazing. So yeah, I think just figuring out what people are doing and just being genuinely interested and genuinely wanting to build a relationship with someone. And I think cadence of timing on that too, like don't give all of it in one go because I think it can be quite tempting to be like I've got this person here I've seen this also with like I mean like I want to like people sometimes overdo it they're like hey I want to chat with you I want to ask you for something I want to take a photo with you I do it. it gets very overwhelming and very quickly people can get quite um oh I don't know a bit heavy now right so just keep it light keep it step by step but you don't have to have everything fixed in that one interaction because hopefully if it's a meaningful interaction there'll be many more to come and uh, in the better situation where also it's warranted. One little thing I've done, which is a really, it's, I think it's a better tip if anyone has a product as opposed to it hasn't launched yet. So it's probably hard to do this if you haven't launched. It's definitely hard to do if you haven't launched. But uh, basically I get a sample of my product, ideally the finished good mini one, and I put my QR code and my details on it, on the label. And yeah, and it's it's so handy. Just if you have like that 10 seconds with someone, you'd be like, hey, here's my product. Um, if you love it, just send me a message and we'll, we'll talk, you know, but I just want to keep, I know you're busy, so see you later. And then they're like, oh, and often, 95% of the time, they're like, wait, 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 this is, this is, never seen this before. Well, well, tell me more about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, they actually want to have a conversation. Let's go. But um, so it's a, it's a fun way, but the reason... It's tangible, physical. The reason why I mainly did it was because, I mean, similar to your point, like uh, once you've launched, especially when you launched in Sephora, like you tend to to not need to seek for as many more retailers because you're stay exclusive and, you know, you, you, whatever. So I tend I tend to only do it mainly as a way of um, when I meet just industry people, whatever, and they always say, oh, I'd be meaning to try your products. And often I'm always like, oh, I'll send you. But in this way, I'm like, well, you can try it. And if you like it, I'll send you more. Send me your address. You know, that's kind of why I did it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I might steal that one. Don't mind. Do it, please. <laughs> I, I want everyone. I think everyone should. Do. Someone came up to me the other day in like in a in a conference, and they were like, "I would love to buy your your idea." And I was like, 
I don't even own this. So clearly I'm not very smart, but go for it. I was like, the fact that someone thinks I'm one step ahead and patented this, no way. Oh my um, gosh. But also I don't want to. It's not my line of business. Everyone should do it. Just go for it. Um, <laughs> but it's so funny. Um, but yeah, so, so I want to know a little bit about um, Bread's journey to, to date. So there's a lot to unpack and we'll go step by step. But obviously, so for Accelerate to eventual distribution, which I will say, is not guaranteed and not easy. So that's a huge achievement. Um, but tell us a bit about that accelerate to distribution. And then if you can also share sort of your global distribution to date as well. Yeah. So our path was a little interesting because to your point, we were part of accelerate in 2019. And at that time, I believe we were the last iteration of that form of Sephora Accelerate. Um, it's slightly different now, but at that time, you were not guaranteed um, to launch with Sephora. And in fact, only a handful of brands that had been through the program over the years did end up launching at Sephora. And so we were really fortunate. But part of the reason that that happened is because Sephora Accelerate wasn't our first touch point with Sephora. It goes all the way back to that moment where I connected with the Hecam merchant through that event. And then I kind of, you know, went through my network that was in Fran San Francisco and also got an introduction to the um, manager of Sephora Accelerate. So I was able to connect with her early. And this was, I believe, 2017. Because I had already pitched the brand to a merchant, they knew who I was, they knew what the brand was. Sephora Accelerate knew who I was as well. The applications were not open to Australia-based founders at that time and not for 2018. So it was kind of like a wait and see, you know, eventually we may open it up to Australia-based founders, we're working on it, and then, you know, get back in touch when we do. Um, and so that luckily happened at some point in 2018 for the following year. And so I still had to apply for the program, but because I was recommended by a merchant, I got to skip a couple of steps. So there was like an application there was um, one or two rounds at the start that I got to skip and go straight to um, the interview portion. However, going back to this idea of doing things that other people aren't willing to do, just because they said I could skip the application process, I didn't. I was like, no, no, I'm still going to do the application process because I want to explain this brand. And I remember the Accelerate manager said, you wrote the longest application in Sephora Accelerate history. Like I went into way too much detail, but I just wanted to get it all out there just to have, you know, my best foot forward. Um, and so I ended up doing that anyway and then went through all of the other processes. So there were still multiple rounds of interviews in different countries and online and in person and all of those things. Um, and then ended up getting accepted into the program, which was super exciting because it was the first time for Australia-based founders. And so it was myself and Pip, who is another Australia-based founder and has a supplement brand called Tonic. Um, and we got to go over together and um, experience Accelerate in San Francisco, um, you know, in 2019, which is very much a novelty um, now that I think back on it. And yeah, just had the most incredible time um, connecting with other founders, connecting with Sephora. Um, and then, you know, at the end of that program, as as I said, and as you said as well, you're not guaranteed to launch. And so... On that last day, I think it was one of the merchants um, asked to catch up with me for um, a coffee the following day, I think after everything had wrapped up and we went for a coffee. And I still remember exactly where I was in San Francisco when she told me that 
they wanted to launch the brand um, at that meeting and left that meeting and was just like sauntering around the streets of San Francisco, the wind in my hair, just having the best time. Um, <laughs> I still remember the song I was listening to as I was walking down the street. And then, you know, that was amazing. And then reality kicked in, which was, oh my God, I have to raise this round of funding that I'm trying to raise. I have to go back to Australia and get all of my things and move across the world. And um, then COVID happened. So I got trapped in Australia, which was um, the case for, you know, so many people. Um, we had, I was in Melbourne, so we had some of the strictest lockdowns in the world. Um, we weren't allowed to leave the country without permission and almost nobody could get permission to leave. Uh, and so it was, it was tough, but, you know, that became our normal. And, you know, I think you launched around COVID timing as well. And a few, a few more, a couple other um, brands that are kind of part of our cohort of support brands um, launched at that time. And yeah, it's like, it's such a blessing and a curse because you don't get to experience a launch in the way that you probably wanted to. Um, however, we all have very strong backbones now, I think, being able to get through that. Um, so yeah, we just kind of launched in, in the middle of COVID, um, grew some of our distribution with Sephora, launched a bunch of new products. And then earlier this year, we expanded into Ulta, which has been really exciting um, because we're, you know, we're a hair care brand and, you know, we love the idea of tapping into Ulta's heritage around hair and their kind of salon and all of those things. So that's been really exciting. And then globally, we're available in Sephora, Australia and New Zealand, um, which is great for me because I'm I'm over here at the moment. I love connecting with their team and going in stores. And then um, in the UK, we expanded into Cult Beauty, Selfridges, Space NK, and ASOS, which has been really fun because I used to work for, I used to do like a student ambassador program yeah. for ASOS back in the day. I thought in 2014, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I saw that yeah, on yeah. I was like, that's yep. so cool. Yeah, I was yeah. Uh, that, that, that's always fun when you get to like launch in something that you had an affiliation with, like even if it's small mm -hmm. or like my sister worked in like Selfridges on the, on, the, on the floor once doing fragrance. So like she like was like so excited because she was like, I'm going to have my first paycheck and then my first paycheck from Sephora, from Selfridges as a like consumer. Oh as my a brand. gosh. And I was like, that's so funny. I love yeah. that so much. Yeah. It's important. What's great about, I think, your distribution is it's it's meaningful, mindful, and it's like at the right yep. cadence. But I think, as we both know, like when you have a huge market and a retailer beast like a Sephora Alta, it does take a lot of time, bandwidth, budget. So it's like important not to scale too quickly. Um, it can be hard because, um, you know, it's when you have consumers around the world that want to try your product and you want to offer it to them at a good price, good shipping, good retailer. It's you want to have those, and I'm sure retailers. You know, once you launch in Sephora, many retailers around the world have come to you and offering yeah. um, easy access to, to launch and support. But you have to like sometimes, in retrospect, be like, "Ah, oh, I see. Can we talk in like six months, in a year? I'm just right now. I can't. You know, one hundred percent. So did that happen a lot for you? Like a lot of no's that you had to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we probably should have said more no's than we did. I I'd mm. spent, you know, some of my career working at L'Oreal and across different brands. And so you kind of, I've worked on some acquired brands as well. And one of the benefits of having that experience was kind of seeing what some of these kind of like specialty or prestige brands, what their challenges were, you know, four years in, five years in. And oftentimes it was one, 
wearing too many points of distribution, we actually need to pull back distribution or we're trying to focus on too many things. Those are generally the two biggest issues that <laughs> brands tend to have is that, you know, we have to pull back or we have to focus on less things or we have to have a really defined focus. And right now we're trying to do too many things. So I was very conscious of that in building bread as well and trying not to get carried away. Um, but also the issue of, you know, training consumers to, um, have promotions. Um, and so that was a challenge for brands that were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the track. It was like, they expect certain things and you've really trained your consumer to expect a certain things and you can't walk it back. Um, so those have all been things in the back of my mind, but it's always easier said than done, right? You're like, I know the thing, but I'm not going to do the thing. Um, and, and sometimes and so, like, you want to, you want to also not do it to learn and grow because we're in this phase of like, totally, yeah. we shouldn't know it all and we should make mistakes to become better leaders, you know, in a way. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and sometimes it can be different. You're like, okay, well maybe that didn't work for that brand, but it could work for this brand or, you know, vice versa. So I always say like we've never had the challenge of expanding into new retail partners. We have been fortunate in that, you know, we did come in with Sephora very early um, and also that we're in this category that really is still so young and still, you know, when we all launched, it was very much undergoing this renaissance. And I think it still is. There's still so much change and, and newness and, and different things happening and growing in the hair category that retailers really want the brands that they feel are doing something different. And we're very fortunate that we still occupy a space that does feel very different um, from other brands in the marketplace. So we've really worked hard on building that and building a really defined brand voice and brand aesthetic and, and brand point of view that retail is is never it's never been a challenge for us. Expanding has never been a challenge. Our challenge is saying no. We, we have, to, we have to be better at saying no. Much harder than it seems. Uh, I, I I feel you, but but um, I do want to talk a bit about your amazing array of products. Uh, as, as you know, I'm a huge fan. I love everything about exact again the aesthetic, the the product efficacy, um, and, and the simplicity of assortment as well. It's not a brand that's so hard to navigate and has way too much. I do believe based on Ayurveda, less is more, right? Um, it's very easy in this conscious, in, well, in this capitalist approach to not be conscious and think a little bit too much about you this, you this, new, more revenue in. But uh, I like, uh, you, you've got very beautiful assortment. So tell us about it. Thank you. Yeah, well, we started with Wash Day, which was really kind of driven by the fact that I wanted the brand to feel like your set of essentials in hair care, which is why it's called Bread. Um, we want it to be, you know, your bread and butter and your kind of like daily bread and the things that you must have in your hair care lineup. Um, and so we didn't want to go too broad. And I really wanted to start with that first point of the routine, which is wash day. So we launched it with our wash day kit, which contained our hair wash, our hair mask, our hair oil and our satin scrunchie. Um, and that was really designed to give you the perfect base for wash day that would work across all curl types and textures um, and also be your kind of everyday. So using that hair oil every day, having something that is really beautifully fragranced but also really effective and silicone-free. Um, and then we expanded into styling. Um, and so we launched our hair cream, um, which is one of our best sellers and a product that I love so much. 
Um, and then we expanded into some scalp care. So we kind of took a step back from that wash day and said, okay, what happens before wash day? What are some things that we can do there to really um, create a more efficacious wash system? Um, and so we launched some scalp care products. Um, and then we more recently expanded our styling offering. So we launched our hair gel uh, which is actually our number one seller now, which is kind of crazy. We weren't expecting that. Um, yeah, super cool and such an amazing formula. Um, and everyone can use it because it's an amazing curl styling gel, but it's also an amazing slick back gel. Um, it's a botanical formula, so it's water-based, um, which is really, really popular at the moment. Um, and we happen to create a really beautiful water-based formula so it doesn't contain any oil. It mixes really well with other products. Um, it smells like yuzu, which is kind of like this mandarin-style lemon fruit. Um, and it has seaweed, it has mushroom, it has really interesting skincare-led ingredients in the formula. So it actually repairs your hair over time rather than damaging it, like a lot of gels do that are very heavy on harsh alcohols. So we wanted people to feel like they could still do what they want to do with their hair and style it the way they want and use a lot of gel in their routine, but not feel like they're going to sacrifice the health of their hair. Um, and then we have a couple of other products. We have accessories. We have a few other scrunchies. Um, we just launched our scalp brush, which is called Scalp Thingy. Um, and then we have a few more accessories coming down the line, which I'm excited about. But to your point, we haven't done a whole lot. And I think part of that is one that we wanted to keep it essential and simple, but also that, you know, we don't want to launch things unnecessarily. We don't have a ton of merch. We don't have a ton of those things. We're very selective about what we produce. Um, and I think that that's, you know, worked well for us so far. So for us, the challenge now is like, okay, if we want to keep people's routines really effective and simple and provide these products that can do multiple things so you don't have to have five different things to do um, certain things is where do we stop? You know, <laughs> where do we where do we get to the point where it's like, actually, that's it. We don't have any more hair care things to launch for you because we feel like you can get everything with what we have here. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think like listening to the, your, your loyal consumer fans and, and community that tell you they're really wanting something and they just really want to have it just because bread, they want to have a bread on it and the bread touch. Then you're like, okay, you know what? I'll consider it because you guys are really asking for it. But that, that, that is, and that's like only if they're like, like, because sometimes you have to listen, but also people say it and then you make it and they don't even support it or buy it. Exactly. They have to also be like, yeah. I've got to also make sure you guys really want it and not just saying it. Um, so it's a hard balance because we've launched stuff in the past where, you know, we've, we've got our first product after three years that we're going to have to delist not for any other reason other than we just think it's very confusing the product's amazing might just go back to the drawing board and repackage it and re-look at it with the same goop but it's just not selling I mean sometimes it, it sells like not even 10 15 like 20 units a week and we're like what the in, in the Sephora environment and we're like how is that even possible because it's such a big retailer and you have to put your hands up and be like that's an L mm -hmm. I, I learned <laughs> I gotta figure it out but it but it can kill your business if you don't demand plan it well and you don't exactly. you know forecast it because I have now honestly I have like nearly over like 70,000 units of this and I have to figure out how to figure out like once I delist it how do I get rid of that stock right without making a loss or can I do GWP and it's not an ideal place to be in and it really taught me a lesson of that 
nearly. It's like people say launching in a market can kill your business. Launching a product can kill your business if you don't do it properly. It's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's always a difficult thing to come to the realization of, especially if it's a really good product. I mean, we have one or two things that are in the same boat where I'm like, oh my God, it's such an amazing product. And the reviews are all like 99% positive. Like people who try it love it, but maybe it is just repackaging or remarketing, changing the way that you talk about the product. And so you have to take it away and then potentially bring it back later. And timing. Like how many times has it been where like something feels new or gone viral on TikTok, but it's been on like Mac Cosmetics for 10 years and people are like, only now people are discovering it. So right. yeah, it's Probably hard. changing it's lip gloss and things like All this stuff. I, I look at half the stuff and I'm like, like now my whole... Um, TikTok is like this like shimmer lipstick from Mac and I'm like but I've, everyone's saying it's amazing oh. it's viral I'm like I've seen, I've seen other brands do glitter lipsticks like, it's right new. I launched one actually for L'Oreal Paris really? many years ago <laughs> yeah. there you go and it's everyone's as if this is like unheard of and I'm like that's the power of influencers they can make it seem like uh, you want it now really yeah just on that daily yeah. sting conversation but I had a really interesting <laughs> chat with um, Ben Bennett about this because mm. Naturium and um uh, Saltaire and um, what's the third one? Fleur. Fleur. Um, yeah. He was saying that his strategy around well, some of their brand strategy around delisting is, I mean, they're obviously in mass, so it may be a little bit different, but like for Naturium, for instance, he's like, we'll launch something. If it doesn't do well, it's gone. Like within months, they'll just turn it around mm. and say, no, it didn't work. Get rid of it. Launch something else. They're like, we're totally happy to acknowledge if something didn't work like immediately and then get rid of it and launch something else. So that kind of... That's a good point. Gave, yeah. yeah, it kind of gave me a little bit of um, courage around it and a little bit of permission to yeah. be like, oh, okay, if something doesn't work, stop trying yeah. to make it work. And therefore you shouldn't order too many s- units of it because if it, that, you know, keep it where oh, it can like be, you can get rid of it, but with that with minimal risks. That's also a really good point. Yes. Like, um, yeah. like launch it don't feel worried if it doesn't work but don't launch it with such strong conviction and budget and uh, inventory where it then becomes harder to get rid of it so totally. that's yeah. a good point <laughs> that's the <laughs> ideal like, yeah i want to but but it is hard to your point as well like when you as a founder um you know those businesses they're a little bit more um business plan led right because they're like a multi-conglomerate like a incubator for us where we just have like you know, sometimes we'll be developing a product for 18 months and it's like our baby. And then when you see the positive reviews and you love it and then you're like, oh, but still selling like 10 units, why? It's harder yeah. to like cut the, you know, say goodbye. Yeah. Um, oh, you want to you want to still try other avenues of, of, of figuring out how it can sell. But it is it is true. Mm-hmm. Like the Ben, what Ben's saying is like when it comes to actual retail and productivity, you've got to act a little bit like that too. It's a business. It's, it's fast moving. You've got to make decisions. Yeah. You have to be ruthless with your little babies. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. I love that. And thanks for sharing that. I needed to hear that. Um, yeah. But uh, especially for newness, I have an in the kitchen meeting this afternoon with Sephora. So I was Ooh. like, yeah. So <laughs> I need to like also be like, guys, it's okay. If this doesn't work, <laughs> we'll, figure we'll, it get out. It. <laughs> um, we'll get rid of it we'll get rid of it mutually um yeah. so before i start wrapping up and going to fire out like what is the future looking like for bread like what are the things that you're excited about not necessarily from an mpd perspective but just from you as a leader yeah i think well one of the kind of more tangible things is that i'm moving to the u.s so i'm really excited about that exciting um, wait how are you yeah. feeling about that and whereabouts are you um, going to west coast east coast because it's a question west I don't coast know. West Coast. Yeah, I'm doing West Coast. 
close to Australia, um, but also uh, I don't think we could cope with the wintry weather coming from Perth, where it's like sunny. It's perpetually sunny here. Yeah, Perth to New York is a harder <laughs> is a harder jump yeah. for sure. That's a pretty good transition. Um, but I'm really excited about that. I think I, I have mixed feelings about it because I love Australia. It's like most unreal place to live. Um, and this move has been, I don't know, three and a half years in the making because it was supposed to happen in 2020. And so I kind of just have to rip the Band-Aid off now and just do it. Um, but I'm I'm like mostly excited, slightly sad to leave Australia, but, you know, it may not be forever. So who knows? Exactly. So you're not, you're just having two homes now. You, it's a beauty. Exactly. Yes. It. Yes. I'm adding, I'm not taking away. Um so that I'm really excited about because all of our team is there um, and I'll get to be on the same time zone. I'll get to, you know, just be more active and more physically present in the business, especially in Sephora and Ulta and, and be able to walk down the road and go visit yeah. a store. Trainings. It, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And when I'm there, I can see it and, and feel it. And so to be able to be there more permanently will be um, definitely a big, big change for the business. Um, and then I guess as a brand, I'm just excited to continue building something that feels like it's led by our customer. Um, when we launch spread and even just everything we created about the brand and the look and feel of the brand and the aesthetic and the person that we're speaking to is all very much led by the community and what they look like and how they like to present things and what you know, matters to them or what looks good to them and feels good to them. And so now that we're in the market and we have product and people get to use it and try it, we now have the opportunity to be led on the product side of things. And, you know, that could mean a few different things for us. We're kind of exploring it all right now. And there's a few paths that feel really exciting to me um, that I'm very excited about. And it's very much led by what our customers are asking of us. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just excited to, to continue building that out and, you know, world domination comes next. Let's see. <laughs> and, uh, and, and a new chapter, I think, I think you're going to your point. It's, it's exciting while it's, it's, it's obviously got some bittersweet moments of leaving Perth, but I think just you being in, in America with the brand predominantly, you know, having a big, big foot there will be a game changer, I think. And I think it's just exciting to see what that will bring. So totally. Well, you would feel that too, right? I was going to yeah, say, I've, yeah. I've I've just I even got my visa. I, I applied, I got it, and then um, it's something I'm. You know, it's hard for us because our our main team is here, but we have a little. We have a small team in the US, but it's just been really difficult to decide because as we are growing in the US, we're also growing in Middle East, India, Europe now, Southeast mm. Asia soon. So it's sort of like. You know, is it better to stay in London where you're like in the center of it all? And then like I can go to like all my markets and then, you know, it, it works. I think my second thing is just about the U.S. is like I always dreamt since a child of living in the U.S. So it's like the funniest thing is, is <laughs> I've got the opportunity and the need today. And it's like me right. somehow yeah. saying no is, is very odd. But I think it's mainly yeah. because I lived in Paris for three years and I worked at Dior and um, I... I, I, I love that like experience away, but I just love London. Like it's something about London. And sure, you know, you've been many times. It's like, uh-huh. it's, 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 it's gone better over time. And like, I just okay. feel like 
I don't know if I could see myself living. And I also don't drive. Like, I have a license. But right. Like, there's a lot of stuff like living in California, LA. I'm like, that traffic, the driving. I, know, right? like, oh. <laughs> I like walking everywhere. And then in New York, it's like, oh, it's so cold and sometimes dirty. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, out of all the options, I was like, let's just stay here until I really need to. And But I am considering it. It's something that might come as well. Because as you said, you know, like, for us, both of us are not there. How many times, like, even Sephora is like, hey, can you um, come for this meeting? And I'm like, I can't fly okay. 10, like 10, 12 hours just for a one hour meeting. I can't. Uh, I don't have the budget or the time. So I have to do everything virtually, which is really hard. It is. But I think for you, it's it's more like it makes a little more sense because London is at least, as you said, the center of a lot of your markets. Whereas like I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> We're not at the center. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think for you, I would be like, yeah, you definitely have more of a, like London would be a bit of a, it's a bit more of a, okay, I can make it work. It's like in the center of it. Yeah. It's, it kind of works. Yeah. Time, time zone wise as well. Um, but yeah. But London's amazing. I would totally move to London in a heartbeat. Yeah. London. No. So maybe I should do that instead. After, after your West Coast uh, venture, Come to London, I'll be here, yeah? Um, okay, we'll, we'll, perfect. We'll, we'll make a lot of founders move here too, it'll be fun. Um, but um, so, so fire round questions, but I have a quick desert island situation. You're invited to a founded beauty retreat, but only one product can be passed through TSA. It's not my problem, it's their problem. But they're saying maybe you can only bring one bread product. What is your go-to? Oh, okay. That's a tricky one because it's a desert island situation. So my answer may be like a little bit different. I'm going to have to say hair oil um, because it's a little more universal. So I would be able to use it in my hair and then I would also be able to use it on my body and I get really ashy skin. And if I'm on an island and I'm going in the water and I come out of the water, I'm going to have to put it. You're going to want that oil. Up. No, no, no. I think that's a great, great. And you can also use it in your lips, like everywhere. Like it's just, you want that Everywhere. It smells great. Exactly. Yeah. It'll it'll do me for the time there. So fire around questions, four questions and I'll let you go. And uh, well, I'm about to say run your business, but it's already late there, but I'm sure you worked very late anyway. Um, <laughs> I was going to say now, I will be working after this call. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so quick questions and then we'll wrap it up. So first question, what's another beauty brand you're currently loving? Oh, just one. Um, just one. Yeah. I'm going to say... Uh, what? Uh, Fluff, because I just got their new lip oil. Ooh. So Fluff is a brand from a friend of mine. They do makeup products um, and they have these really beautiful compacts that have like refillable lip oils and refillable wow. bronzers. And the founder of Fluff was really helpful to me in the beginning days of bread mm. and so yeah i've just always been a fan of their brand um and I their oil is gorgeous Stunning. yeah it's beautiful and then the bronzer compact is like a bigger version of that mm. um and yeah beautiful brand they're doing some really really interesting cool things they have a drop model now so they only release products i think four times a year for a short amount of time um mm. and their most recent drop they partnered with an artist to do um basically engravings like really detailed yeah. like it's art. i've seen it on their website um, yeah yes so yeah they're just doing some really really interesting things and they have beautiful products so i'll always be a fan uh, but everything obviously everything is good because everything's sold out so i'm like i'm like yeah. come back in stock <laughs> i know <laughs> so I can buy yeah the, the beauty of a drop uh, model 
it works you know it, it makes sense yep. it's 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 and also it's very um you know well, sustainable everything we can talk about that another topic but that's yeah very very cool to see amazing yeah uh, my next question is what's your happy place or where is your happy place um i would have to say my happy place is at the park with my partner and our dogs um oh. i'm a i'm a dog lady through and through yeah. so yeah Me that's, too. that's my happiest place <laughs> i uh I, i'm a dog person and you can see by my screensaver my three doggies oh my <laughs> gosh little babies so, yeah. are they all babies. your dogs my yeah well my sister would say that they're her dogs and my mom would say it's a yeah it's a family dogs um but the we family, all kind of have one yeah, one yeah one is mine one is mine is like the old one 13 it's like and they're so sad like my parents use vegas his name is vegas as like a way to get me home he's like vegas is not well you know his time is coming and i'm like mom don't do that you say that every week and he's still like he's that for two years and he's like he's like the fittest out of them all so he's fine but oh uh, my god yeah he she always uh magnetizes me to come home because of vegas because uh, they, they live in my family home which is a bit an hour and a bit away from my where i live so yeah oh okay <laughs> yeah it's a good excuse it's a good excuse to, i do want to see them a lot um my next question is <laughs> what is your hidden talent oh my gosh uh my hidden talent um i can start oh i make a lot of my own clothes uh-huh. that is so weird that you said this because i literally i don't it's a random question i literally like was buying a sewing kit one minute before I was joining. Oh, really? Your, uh, but only reason is because the only reason not to sew was just because all my buttons keep falling off. And I'm like, every time I'm oh, at home, no. I'm, like, I'm like, I always think about those air, uh, hotel little kits. And I'm like, I never take them. I'm like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. one proper kit at home that I can just sew my buttons on. So yeah, random okay. size I story, always I just, take the kit. Funny you said that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah sure. I should take it next time. And my last question is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, what would you be doing right now? Um, I think I'd do fashion. I'd be in fashion. Um, I make a lot of my own clothes. And every time I go somewhere in something that I've made, I, like, without fail, will get a comment on what I'm wearing and someone will ask where they can buy it. So in another life, I would probably gravitate towards that because it's kind of like it, it would be natural for me. Um, and, you know, I love that saying, like, Smell what sells. <laughs> so if the no, people are asking for it, give it to them. Um, so yeah, I do fashion. And I, I think I think uh, it's something that you know. Let's see, post couple of years, but please, like, you should launch your own uh, fashion line. <laughs> yeah, I, give me I, some I, years. <laughs> please, please, I, 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 I'll be and, and make sure there's some genderless or male like line as well, please, for me. So I oh, totally. Um, please, <laughs> but thank you so much for your um, sharing your wisdom, Eva, and everything. Uh, thank for the story you, of Bread. But where can everyone continue to follow you and the brand? Yes, so we're at Bread on Instagram and TikTok, and I'm at Mava underscore Helen with an E at the end on Instagram. Amazing. Well, I'll put the link in the summary. People can just tap straight away. And I'm excited to see you. Hopefully, uh, when is the move happening? Is it happening like imminently or in a bit next Look, week? I never put a definitive date on it. So I'm going to say 2024 and we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, I hope, well, I'll definitely know for a fact I'll see you at Brand Summit. That's in a while. But oh, I'll, yes. I'll definitely see you there. I can't wait. Um, yeah, I'll see you so there. So we'll, we'll catch up in person then. But till then, um, you know, we'll stay in touch wishing you all the best and success and thank you for everything today thank you same to you
hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.